Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I'm the creator and host of this podcast. And I'm also an unschooling parent to two teenagers who really we've been over these 10 years now at this point in time, uh, we've been enjoying this life learning journey together. So I'm happy you're here, whether you're just joining us now on this episode or if you've joined us on other episodes. Either way, I really appreciate you being here. One of the other things that I really appreciate is the support that you provide to the podcast. I love the messages that you send me. Thank you so much. The emails. um, I love it when you reply. If you're on my newsletter and email list, I love the replies I get and you sharing your stories and insight with me as well. Um, It's a great way to connect with you. And so thank you. Another wonderful thing that I love are reviews, and it also helps the podcast to grow and be seen and heard. And I haven't read reviews in a little bit, and so I want to catch up. I'm a bit behind, and I want to share a review today. And I encourage you, if you feel supported, if you've been enjoying this podcast, leave a review. It, um, it absolutely helps the podcast as well. So CassieCon40 left a review that says, I've learned so much. We started homeschooling during the pandemic and never looked back. Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids podcast has shaped every nook and cranny of our homeschool days. It has taught me so much about my kids and their learning styles and given me the confidence to completely restructure how our lives look, which can be unsettling, but we are thriving because of it. Thanks, Robin. Thank you, Cassie. I I really appreciate that review. And, you know, I agree. When we are looking to completely restructure how our lives look and our learning lives, especially when it's not what maybe the classroom exactly looks like, it can be unsettling. So to have the confidence and to be supported through that and given the confidence is is something that I'm hoping that we, we provide. So I really appreciate that. Thank you, Cassie. So another way that you also can support the podcast is through our Patreon community that helps me to continue making more episodes, but also it's a community. So I'm also supporting you. We, I'm still doing live Q&As, monthly live Q&As, as well as being part of that community. There's discussions, videos, episodes that you might not even hear on the podcast, but you can hear there, as well as freebies and downloads. Um, right now we have my son's scientific animal scientific journal uh, that he's used for years and created. Uh, We will be offering that more soon, but right now it's available to our Patreon community only. Different unique things like that. So go to patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. And I always have a link in my show notes. The other thing I wanted to share quickly before I get into this amazing episode, and really I'm so excited about this episode. (laughs) People have already heard me talking about it from a while back. I'm, I'm extremely excited to share this episode coming up. 
But I'm also excited to to let you know that this time of year, right now it's beginning of September, is the time where my masterclass, Homeschooling with Purpose, opens up. And it's now open. I'm going to be fully releasing it coming up this week. But if you are in a place where you know, you're possibly, if you're looking for connection, encouragement, and a place to more clearly envision your family homeschooling or natural learning life, then this is the place. Every year, I host a small group masterclass for homeschooling and unschooling parents that are looking to start or redefine their family's home learning journey. The class is small. I intentionally keep it small, maximum 12, because I want parents to feel safe to share, to feel safe to ask questions, and to ask the questions you really want, and to be heard. And it gives me the chance to take the time with everyone as a group and and individually to really do that as well. We meet live over Zoom each week over the course of one month. And at the end of each weekly session, parents receive the private recording plus any additional resources that I've created for you along this journey. So if you're interested in the masterclass, reply to me on email or email me, send me a DM. Uh, The waitlist is open. I have a a waitlist and I will be sending out more information coming up very soon. Uh, So yeah, reach out. What we do is actually, the biggest thing is to help you clarify your core values and purpose. And what happens is when we get clear on our values and purpose, we begin to make decisions from a place of strength and knowledge. And when we make decisions from a place of knowledge and strength, what happens is it becomes a lot easier to make those choices that were maybe difficult before. It becomes easier to overcome doubts, and it's also easier to overcome the doubters, those naysayers as well, because we are clear on what we're doing and our why. And through the course, we also, we work on clarifying that, but we also go through the de-schooling process and tackle, begin to tackle those fears that keep us kind of stuck in those old ways when we know there's so much more. And then from there, we begin to map out your family's unique learning journey. And that's something that you get to do with me. So the class will be beginning at the beginning of October. Um, I know it's a little bit in from the start of, of maybe your homeschooling journey, but I find that this time after a month or a month and a half in from the start is a time when, you know, we need a little bit more support. Maybe we started with, you know, running through the gates, but then, you know, maybe the schedule shifted. Uh, some doubts have come up, some uncertainties. Maybe we're kind of butting heads sometimes with our kids and uh, our expectations you know, they're grand, but maybe they're not being met and there's a shift that needs to happen. Um, Some encouragement, maybe the ones who are now starting to come and question you and you're not sure what to say. I find it's the time when we really need that encouragement and inspiration um, and guidance as well. So contact me, DM me on social media or email as well. And now we come to this episode. This episode I have Gord Hamilton from MathPickle, mathpickle.com, who joined me. Gord is someone I have seen speak or hear speak years ago. Uh, He's been at a homeschooling conference. I've heard um, he came to the 
the school that I worked at years ago, I know they brought him in to do a professional development session with teachers. He is an educator. He's a mathematician. And I really appreciate his thoughts on view and viewpoints on math. And you can tell he loves math. And that's one of the things that I appreciate. But I also really appreciate how he looks at math and you know, how he says that so often parents, teachers, schools, you know, we've started teaching math to formulas and equations to be mastered and memorized and techniques that, that, that require only compliance but not understanding. And he's a big believer in game schooling. On his website, he actually has a page with recommended games as well. Um, but he has a whole list of puzzles and problems. So if you're looking for a math resource or program this year, just go to mathpickle.com. It's there. And it's not laid out like a traditional school curriculum because you'll find out why uh, in this interview. We talk a lot more about it. He's a dad as well. He has kids that he shares his math love and joy with. And I'm happy to share him with you on my podcast. So I'd love to hear your feedback and enjoy this episode. It is a fantastic episode. Welcome. So I have Gord Hamilton joining me today. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm very excited to have you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so Gord Hamilton is a father of two teenagers, professionally best known for his board games like Santorini and as the director of mathpickle.com. The puzzles that he creates are easy to understand for elementary school students, but educators and mathematicians will find them engaging as well. All right. Welcome. All true. All true. <laughs> <laughs> so you on actually on Math Pickle, you have a quote that goes like this. It is impossible to be a great math teacher without teaching great math mathematics. I what? totally I totally stand by that. <laughs> okay. So then what is great mathematics? What, how would you define great mathematics? For the elementary school, great mathematics is engaging mathematics. It's as simple as that. You want to engage your, your students. You want to engage your kids if you're in, in homeschooling. And you do not want to be presenting mathematics that is boring. There's no need to go there. So why even attempt it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I understand that totally. I understand that. But honestly, many times math has been presented to us as something really hard and boring, and that's the way it should be. It should be hard. Let's be absolutely honest here. Mathematics must be hard because the number one reason that we teach mathematics is not to teach addition, multiplication, division. It's to teach problem solving. And if it's not hard, you're missing the whole point. So you should be running away from people who say math made easy. The whole point is not to learn the math. The whole point is the residue that's left in your children's brain after they throw away all of the math. It's still a useful endeavor to be learning it in the first place because it structures your child to think and oh, how do I solve this? Do I do it this way or this way? If you try to do that with politics or religion or even science, you'll find that it's a wishy-washy topic. Um, mathematics is crisp in a way that those aren't, and that's why it's useful to teach it. 
Mathematics is crisp in the way that those aren't. Can you explain a little bit more? Okay, so uh, let's say that I want to um, teach rigorous thinking through poetry. Mm -hmm. Okay, so imagine that I have a class and I have to now tell a child that their poem is not um, structured correctly. There's something wrong with it. What words do I use to criticize the poem? I, I, I just don't have words. How do I, how do I know? <laughs> Maybe the child's coming up with a whole new um, uh, system of poetry that, that's actually brilliant. And I'm, I don't have the tools to, to criticize in a sharp way. Um, what's so great about mathematics is that it allows the educator a quick feedback loop. You can very quickly say, ah, that's wrong. Oh, how are we going to solve this? I, we know that that's not the right way. But maybe, maybe together we can find out another way that's going to work. But it allows you really, really quickly to establish, ah, that's, that's not the right way to do it. Okay, so now let's try to find a way that does work. Okay. You can't do that. Um, and even with science, there, there's, there's uh, um, so many nuances. And, and the real world is so complex. Um, so science, although it's um, based on... Uh, like mathematics is at its core, it's still not as nice and crisp as mathematics. Mm. Okay, I understand that. That was very clear. Oh, and, and the other the other subject matter that, that is actually has something in common with mathematics is physical education. So either you make the basketball, go in that little hoop, or you miss it. I mean, it's not ambiguous. It doesn't like go bouncing around the rim um, 20 times and then settle on the rim. Right, like that rarely happens. You see the basketball kind of settling on the rim and not sure if it's going in or out. That doesn't happen. It's crisp. It goes in, it gets, goes out. So mathematics and physical education have that in common. Nice and crisp. Okay, I've never heard that example paired together, those two things paired together, but it makes absolute sense. It is crisp. It's, it's this or that, absolutely. And that's why mathematics is the number two subject in schools um, after physical education. Whenever you really teach it right, it's nice and fun because you can get into board games, you can get into games, you can get into thinking about crazy ideas, and it's it's just like physical education except on paper. <laughs> okay, that's a, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good quote. That's a good quote. I'm going to keep that out. I'm going to highlight that and share that after that. Um, so okay, so you just I'm going to flip it a little bit because sometimes math then gets a really bad rap. Right. There's a, many times and I know you you're going to disagree. No, no, I, would, I totally agree. It okay. totally deserves it. Um, I'm, I would be totally happy to abolish mathematics. I think it's a polluted term in elementary school. I think abolishing mathematics would be a good thing. Replace it with problem solving as a subject matter. And of course, we're going to use mathematics in problem solving. But the whole focus is on problem solving. It's not on uh, let's learn addition today. Like the whole focus is on okay, here's an interesting puzzle. How are we going to tackle it? Mm. So I totally am in support of a radical um, throwing out of what has become a polluted word in elementary school. Right. Uh, you know, that is often the fear, ironically, is that, well, I know you hear this a lot, but our kids need to learn their multipl multiplication tables. They need to learn how to add and subtract. The earlier, the better so that they can 
I don't know. I don't even know if everyone's sure what they can do after that. We need to start this from kindergarten and grade one. Where we live, we're hearing that a lot right now in this conversation on curriculum as well. Yeah. But so, so by far the more important thing to be learning is problem solving. If I have to choose, and hopefully I don't have to choose, but if I um, have to um, see a, a grade six child um, and that child is either going to be able to recite their times tables really quickly, wow, they can do it in 1.7 seconds, or they can slowly over the course of an hour beat me in a pure strategy game or even a game of luck and strategy combined, which am I gonna choose? Hands down, I'm going to take the child who can methodically beat me in a board game. Mm. This shows quality thinking. Mm. There's two reasons why we want to get away from this emphasis on memorization. First of all, computers do it much, much better. Right. Um, uh, secondly, we, we are by nature excellent problem solvers. That, like, that is our talent and we should be pushing that. Now, hopefully I don't have to choose Hopefully I get to grade six and the child is both pretty fluent. I don't need to do it in 1.7 seconds of times tables, but hopefully they're pretty fluent in, in multiplication and they're pretty good at problem solving. But if I have to choose, I am choosing the problem solver over the child who is a quick thinker. Absolutely. I agree. And it actually, I mean, even for adults going, I, I many businesses that I know, and that's pretty well the same thing they say when they're hiring new employees, especially young people as well, is right now they're looking for problem solving, adaptability, flexibility, and being able to look at something and say, okay, maybe I don't know how to do this right now, but I can figure out another way. Or I can maybe shift a little bit and I can still get this job done because I'm going to maybe change it or just take time to think about it and then complete or create it. Now, now just look at the, the other side of it. How many times, Robin, in the last month have you needed to multiply together in your head two two-digit dig numbers? How many times have you had to do that in the last month? Not very many, actually. Right. Me, me, like, <laughs> I don't think I've, ha I've had to do that for a year. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when, when was the last time I needed to add together? Like even add together a, a, a couple of like four digit numbers. <laughs> like, like I don't do that on a daily basis. Like, honestly, okay, I, I, the last time I did, I used my calculator. Yeah, like I do the same thing. I'm a mathematician. I do the same thing. I use my, I, I just go my cell phone and go, okay, um, 41 plus 117. Okay. And it's going to tell me the answer. Wow. Wow. I've got other things to do with my brain. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to focus on, oh, the answer is 158, by the way, for all of you kids out there who already knew the answer. Um, and then you can laugh at me because as a mathematician, you, you expect me to be really good at arithmetic and you're shocked to find out that not only am I kind of lackadaisical as to the advantages of doing that really fast, I'm also not, like I'm no more accurate than the next person. So that's so, not mathematics. So what happened then? Where did we kind of lose this way thinking that a good mathematician is able to you know, solve those addition and multiplication problems, like say them out loud well, quickly. There, there is a correlation. Okay. So, so I, I'm not saying that it's, it's useless. Um, I, and um, uh, so I, I, I just, I, I want to not be an extremist. 
So let, let's maybe I've ex- that's uh, okay. That's okay. I can be extreme right? myself. So it's, it's all <laughs> fine. If you want to be extreme, this is a place to be extreme. It's, it's yeah. I, I, I'm I'm not extreme. I I I'm just going to say I'm agnostic about um, how good memorization is and speed is. Um, I I don't. That's just not where I want to put my focus. Whenever I go into a classroom, that's never where I go. Uh, I'm not saying that at no point in a child's schooling should they not experience the stress of having to do something fast. Okay, maybe maybe that is a a small part of a good educational experience. Uh, I just choose not to be part of that. Um, I have the the, um, privilege of just going into a classroom every so often or just teaching my kids what I want to teach them. So uh, I'm not saying that that's bad 100% of the time. I'm just saying we emphasize that way too much. Yeah. Are you feeling overwhelmed, have any doubts about this homeschooling or unschooling journey? Are you looking for support? Are you considering taking this natural learning path? Or maybe you're already on it, but you just kind of come to a standstill, a little bit of burnout, or you're just at a loss at what to do next, overwhelmed with all of these choices and what direction to go. Sometimes maybe you just need a little support or someone to reach out to an inspiration from someone that lives outside of your direct family circle. Well, I get it. I totally do. Over the nine years and counting of taking charge of our own learning journey, my family has been through the highs and the lows, the doubts and uncertainties, the naysayers and all the paperwork. And I know I started repeating school at home as best as I could until it just didn't work any longer for our family. There were tears from both myself and my kids. There were arguments and standstills, but there were things that working that were working. And as I started to look at what was working, I realized that as I loosened my hold on what I thought learning should be, what it should look like, and I began to trust my children in the process, things began to actually, they began to turn around. So if you're at a similar point, if you're looking for connection, encouragement, a place to more clearly envision your family's natural learning life, your homeschooling and unschooling life, then you've come to the right place. And I'm offering even more support for you, direct support this fall. Every year, I host a small group masterclass for homeschooling and unschooling parents that are looking to start or redefine their family's home learning journey. This masterclass is intentionally kept small, maximum of 12 people, because I want parents to feel comfortable and safe to share, to ask questions, and to be heard. We meet live over Zoom each week over the course of one month, and at the end of each weekly session, You receive the private recordings, plus I'm in touch with you through the week, as well as having access to additional resources for this class that I've created that will help you along this journey in the month and for the years to come as well. So if you're interested in my Homeschooling with Purpose Masterclass, reach out, DM me, email me, Robin, R-O-B-Y-N, at I'm homeschooling. That's I-M-H-O-M-E-S-C-H-O-O-L-I-N-G dot com. Or go to my website to my contact page and reach out to me there. Let me know and you can get on the wait list. We begin the last Sunday of September. We meet for one month. So if you're interested, DM me, email me, contact me through my website or social media. The wait list is now open 
and stay tuned for more information to come as well. I would like to get a little bit of a picture of little Gord or young Gord. Were you, did you grow up in an environment where problem solving, where this was your environment, where it was encouraged that, you know, it wasn't the textbook, okay, let's, I want your, your six now. So let's, let's understand the first, you know, one times two, three times one, Mm -hmm. you know, the multiplication, the first layers of that. How, what did it look like for you and how did you come to where you are now? So at six, I was over in Northern Ireland. I, I was born in Belfast. And I moved over here whenever I was seven. So at that time, I was still over in Belfast, very structured school. And then I came over to Canada and my accent changed and I was put into a very liberal school and I ended up failing radically. (laughs) So um, grade five, there were 60 kids, three teachers um, in university elementary school. And I was selected as one of the three slow learners um, to be coached outside of the normal classroom because, yeah. And I failed grade five, including mathematics. Uh, Whenever I left Northern Ireland, I can remember at uh, um, P2, so I think that would have been grade three, I can remember doubling numbers and going one, two, four, eight, 16, 32. And I remember getting up to 4,096. So that's that's pretty advanced for grade three. Um, to, uh, to, To just realize, I can remember thinking, I could do this forever. (laughs) <laughs> so that that's pretty good. I was pretty into math at grade three, but by grade five in Canada, I couldn't do long division. And I was clearly um, just totally stumbling, not just in mathematics. So I, I have enormous sympathy for um, kids who struggle um, because I was definitely one of those kids. Um, and I, I would have lapped up what I give kids in a grade five classroom. I would have lapped it up. Problem solving no problem. Um, all of the emphasis on other stuff. I, I just was lost. So, mm. yeah. So when did it change? When did you find problem solving and puzzles and game design? When did all of that shift for you? Did, did as an adult, did you fall into it or? No, um, I, I was a game designer long before I was a mathematician. So that, that started uh, with a game called cosmic encounters and I designed cards of aliens uh, the game already comes with aliens, but I designed my own. And that, that was pretty early. Like that was age nine, age 10. And uh, I loved that game. So that, that was it, like, the game was okay, but designing the cards was great. Um, so I, that's what propelled me forward until I got to grade nine and fell in love with science. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And that, then I became a then I became your cliche geek <laughs> after that. <laughs> yeah. And then when did you become a quote unquote mathematician? So I did my master's at uh, University of Waterloo in the late 1980s and then went on to my PhD at the University of Calgary and at some point along that road I suppose I became a mathematician. It's interesting, right? Right now um, for the last three months, I've been the host of Puzzle Time with the National Math Museum. Uh, that's in Manhattan. Uh, even though I'm based in Calgary, I, I'm. Uh, this is this was a really fun fun position, and of course that that attracts some pretty bright kids. Mm-hmm. And one of these kids uh, is absolutely 
a genius and he's age seven. <laughs> and so he is a mathematician at age seven in everything except he doesn't have a degree. He doesn't have a piece of paper. But this kid is, is uh, you know, easily graduate school, mathematics, mathematician, all self-taught. His parents are humanities people. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> He's probably so happy that he connected with you. <laughs> it's so good. So good. So, so that was puzzle time? It's called. Yeah, yeah, that, that was puzzle time. I don't know if I'm going to do it again next next year, so let's not advertise that overly. Okay. I'll I'll do something else, if not that. Okay, I was going to see if I could find it myself here and and join one of the times. So okay, let me know. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll do we'll do something else. Uh, it'll all be up on on Math Pickle. Math Pickle will be the hub, and you can go there and find out uh, what I'm going to be doing next uh, next uh, month whenever September rolls around. Okay, perfect, perfect. So for parents that are listening to this, uh, you actually, you know, we've talked a little bit about puzzles and creativity and really the core base of problem solving. Why, so puzzles and creativity, why are, do they just fit with problem solving or are there other reasons why you love puzzles and feel that puzzles and games are essential to the world of mathematics? Um, So, Really, puzzles are the same as problems. I call them puzzles because somehow it just sounds lighter and more, uh, more lighthearted. <laughs> and I, I want I want kids to go in with a lighthearted feel. If I come in saying, today, kids, we're going to do an unsolved problem of mathematics, <laughs> like you can get uh, pretty, pretty uh, nasty. Um, so, yeah, no, I just call them little puzzles. But are they little? No, I can present the puzzles that I am most proud of. I can present in a grade two classroom and I can walk over to the university and I can present the same puzzle to uh, university mathematicians. And those are the puzzles that I'm happiest with. Mm. Um, The ones that I don't know the answers to. And uh, that just makes me happy. And that's where I choose to spend my time. And uh, it's, it's just great as a classroom management technique, if you're introducing a puzzle that uh, you know teaches a specific curriculum. So your your you're struggling kids, they, uh, they're gonna be okay. They're gonna learn whatever needs to be learned. But the top kids, they're gonna fly and you don't need to be worried about them as much because it's not boring for them. It's interesting. If, if it's interesting for me, it'll be interesting for them. Um, yeah, so that that's uh, that's why I use puzzles. Now, games are something else. Games are uh, puzzles between two people, if you like, two or more people. That's a good way to think of it. And uh, games uh, are a celebration of problem solving, and that's why they belong in the home, especially. Classroom games uh, often are difficult. Um, fitting them into to a forty-five minute time slot. Uh, not easy. Uh, you have to make concessions as well for losing pieces if you have a, a shared game in a classroom. So that's a, that's a huge advantage of being a homeschooling parent is that you can have board games as a big part of your life and having them integrated into uh, problem solving in a big way. That, that's, that's fantastic. So you, you could throw out the entire curriculum in grade two, forget about all arithmetic and just focus on board games that are fun. Forget about 
math board games. I'm not asking you to look for a game that has your kid add up at the end. If they like those games, that's fine. But that's not the focus. The focus is to find a really top quality game that you enjoy, that your kid enjoys. There's enough out there that you should find something. And that's where you should be uh, spending so much of your time. Uh, just just experiment with it and, and see what it's like to just focus on problem solving and forget the mathematics. Um, all of elementary school mathematics can be learned really quickly. If you are a, a logical thinker, a logical problem solver, how much time does it really take to, to learn everything? It doesn't take that much. So just focus on the problem solving in a big way. And, you know, you, you can, you can learn the math wherever, wherever it fits in naturally, but don't, don't kill yourself over the boring stuff. Hmm. I'm just taking a moment to, I know anyone listening to let that all sink in as well. I, 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 I love that. And I also hear some parents, <gasps> But, you know, the, but shouldn't they still kind of grasping to, but what if? So um, reach out to me. Uh, I'm on Math Pickle. I'm here to support uh, the community, not just in Alberta, but, uh, you know, you guys are my home base. So I'm here to support you. Um, and yeah, I, I, I have been doing this for years. I've been advising parents for years, just to re relax on the arithmetic. Goodness me, just relax. There's too much stress over that. Uh, my, my own daughter, uh, she her, her favorite game is a little game called Hanamakoji. Does it have any math in there? No. Is it problem solving? Yeah. Does she get joy to beat me at the game? Yeah, she gets a real kick out of beating her dad. And that is just so, so good. <laughs> it's, it's a sweet moment. Yeah. So Gord does have on mathpickle.com, he actually has a ton of puzzles and reference to games as well. So if you go to that website, you will find a plethora of resources actually, because I could, you know, ask him to define and, and say certain ones. But if you just go to the website, you'll find a lot there that are already available. Um, but maybe Gord, you could talk a little bit about, because you do talk about it on your website, but the idea of games and board games, pencil paper games, you know, the playing each other. There are some that, you know, you said, you know, there are some games that we might go out and buy thinking that we're supporting problem solving. What kind of board games should we be aware of as parents that we should bring into the home that support problem solving and and um, that creativity and idea around that? So if we were talking um, 70 years ago, I, I would be recommending Monopoly, Go, Chess, all of these. Um, but the world has taken off. <laughs> and Germany specifically took off in the 1980s with uh, very creative new ideas coming into board games. And so if you're left with a cupboard, your game cupboard full of a risk and a monopoly, then it's as if your home library is full of Harlequin romances. So you can do better than that. And um, yeah, on Math Pickle, I, I highlight not just my own games, but games that are just outstanding. And there's a lot of them right now. I just I just mentioned uh, several that have worked for me, that have worked for my students. 
And uh, yeah, so, and again, contact me and I'm very happy to give you, uh, based on your demographics, how many kids are in your family, I'm very happy to give recommendations about uh, what game would be good for you guys. Okay, fantastic. So you heard that, reach out to Gord and let him know and he'll send recommendations. So that's that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. All right. Okay, so the the other question I have that you've brought up a couple times as well, and I know when one of the times I've heard you speak, actually it was at the Calgary Inspired Homeschoolers Conference quite a few years ago now, um, but you had mentioned it then as well, and I think you've mentioned it on your website, um, that many of the puzzles and problems on your website and that you offer are unsolved or you don't provide the quote-unquote answer key or answers to them. Mm-hmm. Why is that important? Why do you do that? Well, well, first of all, for those that are honestly unsolved, like I honestly don't know the answers, so that's easy. <laughs> that's easy. It's uh, a point of humility for, for me and for other mathematicians that we haven't solved those yet. And why are those good? Well, first of all, only a very small subset of unsolved problems of mathematics are good in education, uh, in elementary school education. Most of them, of course, are way, way above the kids. But uh, there's many of them that are, for example, uh, in 2013, we had a conference of educators and mathematicians. We got together and we selected one unsolved problem for each grade, kindergarten through grade 12. And by the time we got to grade two, we had 20 unsolved problems of mathematics from the last hundred or so years that were unsolved, that only used addition. So that just gives you a flavor for the richness of mathematics that your kids could be experiencing. This is like in the math classroom, taking your kids to the base of Mount Everest uh, before it was climbed. And you can say, hey kids, like look up there. Nobody's ever climbed that yet, but look at that pretty beautiful mountain. Yep. We might be able to climb up a little ways. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's try to get up a little bit. Now we can go to a base camp and we can solve some little bits of the puzzle, but are we really going to get to the top? Probably not. Probably not. That's okay. (laughs) So that's a, it's, it's an exciting place to be is not, not needing to get to the top all the time, but in, in discovering uh, little bits of, uh, of solutions that that uh, are, are little vignettes of success on the way, so it's not like saying you're not going to have any successes. No, you can you can reach a base camp, and we can celebrate. Yeah, it's pretty great. It we is. got there. <laughs> it is pretty remarkable. It is okay. So, Gord actually asked me to have graph paper for this time. Uh, he asked, do you have any graph paper? Bring it when we when we chat. So I brought my graph paper because I am Gord's student today and my, my children are not available to, to join us and do some of these puzzles and problems. Maybe another time we can coordinate schedules so that they're around having teenagers. They're not around home very often anymore. Um, but so I am the student today and we're going to do some. Is that OK if we start now? Give us. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So this is a brand new puzzle this year. Um, And I I find it kind of beautiful. And it's it's for kids whenever they're learning about perimeters. Okay, so that that might happen around grade two, grade three, something like that. Okay, so um, we're going to say that our school playground is a 10 by 10 square. 
on our graph paper. You can choose smaller, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, this is an example of one of these problems that's unsolved. I don't know the answer for, for many of these, but we're just gonna choose a 10 by 10. You can make it more difficult, try 11 by 11, 12 by 12. So that's why these are called infinite puzzles. So you, we might end up solving the 10 by 10, and, but I guarantee you won't end up solving the 20 by 20 anytime soon. So uh, we're gonna try the 10 by 10. Okay. You've got a 10 by 10 playground and you're going to send out in that, let's say that you're the principal of a school and we're gonna send out on that playground uh, kids of a certain age. And uh, for example, we can send out the grade three kids and the grade three kids, they're actually squares and they are three by three squares and they all have to clump together. They, they all hang out together. You can't have a group of three by three squares on one side of the playground and a group of three by three squares on the other side. They all have to share a little part of their edge at least. Okay. 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 The same is true for your five by five, the grade five kids, you let them out. They're all squares too. They're five by five squares and all of they, them have to, they have to share edges as well. So for example, we could just send out four grade five students that would fill our whole 10 by 10 uh, square because you could have one five by five in the top left, one five by five in the top right, the top bottom right and the bottom left. So that would fill up, but that would be a boring solution. Right. <laughs> what I want to know is, can you come up with a way to send out two groups of kids so that whenever you measure their perimeters, that they are all uh, the same, that both of, both of them are the same. And they must fill the playground. You can't have any excess space in the playground. Okay, so the, the answer, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna wait a second for your studio audience to, to grapple with this for a second. And then I'm, I'm, I will tell you the answer to this one because this one, this one you can maybe visualize it. And now I'm going to give you uh, the so a solution. It's not the only one. So you could send out two grade five students and you could put them in the top left and the top right. And then the whole rest of it, you could fill with grade one students. Mm. Right? Oh, those, those two rectangles are obviously going to have the same perimeter. So you, you've solved it. Right, right. My question now, and this is way hard. Okay, now send out three groups of students. And okay, if you can't make all of the perimeters exactly equal, can you make them so that the difference is as small as possible? So this is fun. This is, this is not easy. Okay. Not easy. Now, I will tell you that it is possible to make them all equal. But this took me this took me a long time to find. And um, whenever I would be, if, if you guys are presenting this to your kids, you wouldn't tell them that. Like you, you would be playing around with your kid together, maybe competing against them, maybe collaborating with them. You, you know your kid. Do, you, do they want to collaborate? Do you want to phone up a friend and you, you, you uh, collaborate with your kid against the other family? I don't know how you want to do it. But... Uh, Instead of making this like uh, the, the answer is no one, uh, 
you, you can design your own puzzles now. You can say, okay, for an 11 by 11, let's send out four, four kids and let's send out four groups. And I have no idea of the solution. Okay. And, and that's okay. You can, you can just try to get as, as high a perimeter, as, as equal set of four perimeters as possible. And no one's going to be able to tell you you're wrong, but you know, you know, if it feels good, you're going to feel, oh, that's at least better than my, than my solution that I got yesterday. That's good. Or um, I beat my son. Yay. <laughs> because <laughs> I got one. My perimeters are 35, 36, 36, 40. And my son got 36, uh, 40, 48. Okay. Well, I beat my son. So it's, uh, that, that's the kind of um, competition, if you like competition or collaboration that is really focused on just uh, uh, without knowing the solution, you can make this into a joyous experience. Right, right. And then with this, we could go even smaller than as well, right? The playground doesn't have to be 10 by 10. Can we, we can go to, I mean, it would be less, it would be limited, but five by five, four, four so by four. Exactly right. And this is what I point out to my kids all the time. Whenever you are given a problem, even if I say 10 by 10, 10 by 10 is a big problem. Mm-hmm. For you to understand what's going on here, you should absolutely go, go back to a, let's do a three by three, two by two, what, like just trivial answer, trivial, trivial questions that you know you're going to get the answer. That's the right, right that's the right approach. And uh, again, again, I'll present these big problems and they're fun to play with. Mm-hmm. Okay. But to understand what's going on, absolutely go back, explore a little, little vignette. What, what would a two by, what would a two by two, a four by four, a five by five, what, what uh, solutions can I come up with there? Okay. Robin, I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I told I'm, I'm here as a learner today. So yeah. <laughs> You know, I I do have to confess that I was definitely a student who I did well, but I never fully like math was just it was probably my least favorite subject. And I just did it like I could do I could do my homework and I could do the questions and equations. But to really understand it, I never felt like I fully grasped it. But as an adult and now like with my kids, it's only as an adult, like past my 30s, in my 40s, that I'm like, wow, math is actually really cool. Like it's really creative. It's actually, it's really fun. There's, and being able to see it around me where I never could understand like the application, but just seeing it like in nature or seeing, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw a crane the other, you know, a little while ago and it was like, oh, that's okay. Now I get trigonometry and now I get how, and they were trying to move a bin on the farm that had, there was oops, a cylinder and cone and fit everything. And, but it was like, oh, now I see it. I visually see it. And it was like my brain finally, it was the puzzle. It was like the puzzle pieces started to fit together. And I'm also very visual anyways, but it was like, it started to, you know, that fuzzy picture. And then you start stepping back and you're like, oh, now I see the the family in that picture where I never could see that before. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I will say that um, you can still get that joy uh, with abstract mathematics, but real world mathematics for so many kids, it, it really helps mm. to, to see things that are, are really useful, really useful in their day-to-day life. But so many of my puzzles, like this square cliques, like the, the kids are square, like, okay, it's totally nuts. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I hope but they're that, fun and joyful. Yeah, well, yeah. Right? I hope that, that the joy comes through. <laughs> okay, so do you have another puzzle that you maybe can share with us? Sure, I, I've got one that that uh, whenever I'm asked to present something over the radio, uh, I I typically go to this one. Um, it's from 1916. It's by a mathematician, a German. Um, uh, this this. Uh, mathematician was a Jew living in Germany in 1916 um, and ended up having a pretty tragic life escaping to Palestine uh, being stripped of all of his uh, his uh, posts in Germany with the Nazis and ended up uh, dying in poverty in, in Palestine so it's got a sad history um, but in 1916 life was going well and he uh, he created uh, he was a leader in the field that I call, called integral fission, called um, integer partitions. And so that's what I'm going to present is a little vignette uh, based on, on his, uh, his work. And the way I do it is I have two bubbling cauldrons in front of, uh, I, I, I get kids to imagine that. I don't explain the rules to go in. Instead, I just point to one kid, which cauldron do you want to put frog number one which cauldron do you want to drop okay the left cauldron okay one that frog number one is in the left cauldron and joey what about frog number two left or right right cauldron okay frog number two is in the right um ethel frog number three left or right okay left so we've got frog numbers one and three in the left and we've got frog number two in the right uh frog number four um, Ezekiel, we want we want to do that on the left as well. Unfortunately, one plus three is equal to four. Whenever you put that in, the cauldron explodes. So this this was not a good choice, Ezekiel. So the idea here is uh, you you get engagement, emotional engagement, before you worry about the rules of the puzzle. This is typical uh, something that I use again and again. Uh, is I, I don't explain rules at the start. It's just, it can be very boring for a pretty big subset of kids. So the, the question here is, um, given these two bubbling cauldrons, how many frogs can you possibly add before a cauldron uh, explodes? And I will tell kids that in this case, you can find a way to put eight frogs in there so that whenever you add a frog, it is not equal to exactly two different frogs that are already in that cauldron. So like if three and five are in my right cauldron, I can't add number eight to the right cauldron. Right, okay. okay. Um, so yeah, so you can find a way to fit eight you. frogs in. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I'm yeah. saying if two and three are in there, then you can't put five in, whatever yeah. those, okay, okay. But if one, uh, if one, two, and four in are in one pot, you can still put the seven in, even one, even though one plus two plus four is equal to seven. It's only two numbers that we're looking at. Okay. Not, not any number that you can add up. Okay. So, so th this is solvable. 
And, and uh, the answer is you can get eight frogs in. What do you do then? Well, you can, for example, you can add another cauldron. So now you've got three bubbling cauldrons. How many frogs can you put in three bubbling cauldrons? Well, I've never had a grade two student in 45 minutes find that the, the optimal answer. And I, I'll tell your listening audience that you can get up to 23 frogs into those three bubbling cauldrons, but that's not easy. Okay. okay? And, and I wouldn't tell the kids that. Uh, at that point, that's just, I, I just say, oh, see how high you can get. I'm not expecting them to get to 23. So I, I wouldn't give away that. Whereas I expect them to get to eight. I expect all grade two students to understand and to persevere and to get to eight within, you know, on an average, it's going to take 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. For, for, for a pairs of kids on average, maybe 15, so, you know, give or take. Okay. You can also say, okay, let's say that I, I'm going back to just two bubbling cauldrons. What happens if I only have odd numbers of frogs or only have even number of frogs? Okay, so two different uh, questions. What happens then? So there's different, different puzzles that you can come up with based on this general format. And you can... At the end of the class, if you want, you can say, well, it took a computer a long time to solve this for four pots, and it's been solved. We know what the answer is for four pots, and for five pots, I think now it's been solved, and for six pots, nobody knows. And I don't think it's going to be solved anytime soon. So, Okay. Yeah. So for six pots, nobody knows, but you can get up to 23. For six cauldrons. In, in, three, in three, for three cauldrons, three cauldrons, you can find a way. If you choose to accept this challenge, you can <laughs> find a way to place, to, to drop in 23 frogs. frogs. And they have to be dropped in in order. So you drop in frog number one, frog number two, frog number three, and one of the one of the okay. bubbling cauldrons. Okay. Okay. And so six has not been okay. Is this one on Math Pickle? Uh oh yeah. Yeah. This would uh bubbling cauldrons will will get it. Okay, perfect. All right. All right. I'm when my uh, daughter is back, we will we'll, we'll work on the perimeter one as well first. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Gord. I um, really appreciate you taking the time. And, you know, I, I'm appreciative that we had to, got to have a conversation. I've, I've heard, listened to you before, and I've always enjoyed it. And uh, I think it's so valuable for the listeners as well. I know they'll appreciate it. So I definitely recommend go to mathpickle.com and you can find the puzzles and connect with Gord there as well. Is there any other link or anything? I'll put it in the show notes, but would you like me to, or would you like to recommend any other link or way that they can get in touch with you? Or is that the main way? I think that's the only way that just do it, do it that way. That's going to be good. Okay. Perfect. Mathpickle.com. Yeah. And, and as we exit out, is there any sage piece of advice that you would like to leave with listeners? <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Um, beauty over truth. Beauty over truth. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So none of this boring mathematics, it's all truthful and we're all anal retentive about getting it Perfect. No, no. Let let it uh, let it breathe. Let's uh, let's make it uh, beautiful here. 
Um, so many kids are inspired by things of physical beauty that they are creating. Uh, so this, the, for example, that first puzzle, the, the cliques in the playground, is it a waste of time for your child to color the grade fives yellow and the grade one kids pink? And no, if your kid is into that, that that shows pride in, in their work. They're, they're pr proud of the artifact that they're creating. And that's something to be celebrated. Mm, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Beauty over truth. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Gordon. I appreciate the time and um, we'll be in touch very soon. And reach, I recommend you to reach out to Gord at mathpickle.com. Take care, Robin. See ya. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. Mm -hmm.